my high school band started doing our punk songs like Nuclear Babies and things like this. And, and I mean, punk rock, I, I love a lot of it, but I think it, the idea was to get it back to original rock and roll. Um, and so people jumped around, the kids jumped around, the adults kind of said, okay, you know, if there were any adults around, they were just kind of like, okay, the kids are playing their loud rock music. But when we started listening to King Crimson and writing a little more like that, I mean, that just upset everybody, including our own friends um, and the adults too. It just, it just struck much more of a nerve, I think, than, than a lot of what we call punk rock. Um, it's just a lot less socially uh, acceptable music in, in, in a lot of ways. It's, it's, it's sort of disruptive, I guess. And, and uh, I still love that music as much as I did then. Uh, but definitely I remember feeling like, oh, now we're getting somewhere because there are people who don't like this. To me, that was like a, a plus, a big thing. Like, yeah, there are people who actually are against this. Now I feel like I'm, I'm, onto something and that was just something i felt on more of a uh instinctive level you know more recently i've you know i've heard that john cage said things about you know if you're not irritating anybody then you know you're probably not doing anything very interesting or something like that he said that to gary wilson who was a student of his um yeah i think it's probably just more disruptive music you can't drink beer to it you can't dance to it you know Music. This is Steve Gerlach speaking. Steve Gerlach has worked in the music industry for decades as a guitarist, singer, composer, and collaborator. His surf noir, prime jazz stylings bring to mind old shows like Get Smart, Spider-Man, and Dragnet, just to name a few, but with a modern twist that makes Steve's songs so unique. Steve is a one-of-a-kind artist, and his music is capable of bringing a TV show or film to a whole other level. Steve was meant to be a musician, and he's known that for a very long time. I never really was interested in anything else. So, um, I mean, until I was, uh, you know, well into my uh, 30s, 40s, um, it just didn't occur to me to do much of anything else because probably because of the impressions that were made upon me when I was so young, you know, when you're, when you're, you know, when you're four years old, I mean, it's hitting you on so many levels, some of which you maybe don't even understand. And, um, uh, we'd like to think we can experience these things as adults, but, uh, and we try to, um, but boy, you know, that first explosion of, uh, Music when you're a kid, um, in my case, you know, not, I mean, I think, you know, I was, I had a passing interest in Evil Knievel and a couple other things, but it was pretty much just all I ever wanted to do. Every skilled musician has creative influences that shaped and molded their artistic style. Here are some of Steve's influences. Well, going way back, it would definitely be the Beatles and, and, pop rock and roll things like that um and going forward it, there was the, the led zeppelin was real big um in my world back then um eventually i went through 
uh, all sorts of, uh, I played in a reggae band for two and a half years. I played, uh, in a lot of pop bands and with singer songwriters. And, um, I was definitely a real prog rock nerd at, towards the end of high school. Um, that upset a lot more people than the punk rock that we were doing in high school. Towards the end of high school, we started writing our own prog rock music and it upset people much more than the punk rock did. And that, uh, that made an impression on me. Um, and so I still love that stuff too. And, and, um, you know, studied music and immersed myself in it as much as I could. Jimi Hendrix at one point was something that I just absolutely immersed myself into. Um, and then much more recently, I heard some, I mean, uh, yeah, going back to um, the other thing would be the television I was watching as a little kid. Um, I think in a lot of cases, the best thing about it was the music. Um the original Spider-Man cartoon, that is some wonderful music. That's some of my favorite music that I've ever heard. Um, you know, things like uh, the Superfly. I mean, the, you know, that movie looks like $100, but the soundtrack sounds like a million dollars. I mean, it's not a terrible movie or anything, but boy, the music is the best thing about it, easily, uh, and in my opinion. And that's, I guess that's how I felt about so many things. Um but sort of getting back to the answer to the question, um, I think for a while there I got away from guitar music as an adult, and then having never, I never heard the Shadows. The, uh, they were Cliff Richards' band. Hank Marvin was the guitar player. I never heard that stuff until about maybe six, seven years ago, and um, boy, that just put me on a whole other trip um, and had a huge influence on what I'm doing now with Outronaut. Uh, just hugely inspiring, uh, melodic. I mean, you know, it's sometimes referred to as surf music, but it's so much more melodic than the more aggressive California stuff. Uh, and, uh, that was a huge inspiration late in life, which, you know, I guess that's probably worth mentioning because it was sort of the, the most recent wrinkle. And, um, you know, it becomes harder and harder, I think, as you get older to, to find something new that really trips your trigger. Um, and it turned out to be something from the early 1960s that did it for me, um, but happened to tap into a lot of what originally inspired me, too. I mean, he, you know, Hank Marvin and the Shadows were a huge inspiration to the, the George Harrison and all those guitar players in England, uh, David Gilmore and Sid Barrett and Richie Blackmore and Jeff Beck and all those guys were listening to Hank Marvin. He was sort of the original electric guitar hero in England. And uh, strangely enough, I never heard that stuff until a few years ago. And it was hugely inspiring to me as well. Some musicians are in it for the fame. Some do it for the money and others just want to party. But for Steve, here's what's most rewarding. For me, the most rewarding thing probably happens internally. Um, uh, the experience of hearing music, when, especially when you're really young, um, it can hit you on so many levels. You know, it's appealing to your brain. It's appealing to your heart. It might even be getting to your crotch, depending on the kind of music and stuff. Um, maybe in in ways you can't even completely understand. Um, and the process of creating music, I think it, that occurs on an even higher level, I think, because creating music is, uh, in order to start 
an, a musical idea, you start pursuing some idea because you're, you're, uh, the imaginative side of your brain is, is running wild. And in order to finish a piece of music, you have to rely on the more problem-solving side of your brain. But they work together. I think writing music is one of those things where both sides of your brain have to work together. And uh, that's pretty exciting and, and ultimately, for me, ends up being kind of its own reward. Um, I know people who need the f that need feedback a lot more than I do. Um, for me, it's more of an internal type of reward, internal satisfaction. If I love it, then that's kind of all that matters to me. Working in the music industry is bound to come with some difficult obstacles. Steve says the most challenging aspect is... Um, it can be challenging if, you, if you're... The, the first time you work with somebody or the, you know, the first few times that you work with somebody, that can be challenging because you have to learn each other's means of communication. Um, you know, if you, if you play with the same people for long enough, it becomes there not much needs to be said. Um, whereas, yeah, I think the challenge of, of when you first start working with somebody, figuring out how to communicate with them and, and what they mean when they're, when they're trying to communicate with you, that's a big challenge. I mean, you know, you could obviously talk about the challenge of trying to get into any sort of uh, monetary uh, compensation for what you do musically. That's, that's always going to be a challenge. Um, those would probably be the two biggest, or, or, or if you're, if, I mean, you can notate music to a certain extent, but if you're trying to get someone to play something you wrote, um, notation can only do so much. So, um, so you're going to have to, without hurting anybody's feelings, um, and without spending an infinite amount of time, try to get the, uh, try to communicate with them in a way that helps them understand how to play the music and not just what to play, but how to play it. That's, that can be hard. Uh, you know, I did some stuff recently with, with some horns on it and, um, I can't play horns. I can't play sax or brass or I can't play those instruments at all. Um, so it was a little nerve wracking to me, you know, because, you know, a lot of times if push comes to shove, I could just grab the drumsticks out of the drummer's hands or, or, or whatever, and, or, a, you know, a, a piano or something. I can't really play piano, but I could, I could, you know, if necessary, I could say, hold, just move out of the way for a second and I'll, I'll explain what I mean. Um, with an instrument that you can't play at all, you know, how do you, how do you get it out of your head? You know, how you want them to play something that can be difficult. Playing live shows and recording in the studio are two very different experiences. When on tour, you get to connect with the audience. But in the studio, you are able to perfect your sound. When asked which he enjoys more, here's what Steve had to say. As a younger man, I uh, really th I thought the studio was just a place where you tried your best to capture what you're doing live, and I thought it was all about what you're doing live. and, and um, I think it probably comes from being younger and having something to prove to yourself and to other people. Uh, as an older, as an you know, as an an adult uh, in my advancing age, um, I would much prefer 
to just sit in a recording studio and get something 100% right and make it sound exactly like it did in my head. Um, at this point, you know, given a choice between playing a sold out show at the House of Blues and sitting in a recording studio, getting something on tape and getting it right, I'd much prefer to just sit in the studio um, because, you know, an artist does a painting and they don't continue to do the same painting over and over. They, I mean, if you're a painter, you get to you get to take your time and finish something and get it exactly right. And you put on that final brush stroke and then you're like, there, it's done. And you, and you don't do that painting again because you don't need to. Um, that is kind of how I feel nowadays about music. Um, it can be fun to, it, it can be fun to perform on stage. I can generally take it or leave it. Um, but yeah, the, the satisfaction of, of getting something a hundred percent right in the studio to the point where, you know, you put on those Mellotrons or whatever it is that, you know, that makes it really sore and makes it sound like it did when you first conceived it. I mean, there's nothing that I've ever experienced that's quite as satisfying as that. Sometimes an artist's best work is when they collaborate with someone else. If Steve could collaborate with anyone, dead or alive, it would be... I'm not much of a jazzer myself, but it would be fun to see what happened with somebody like Miles Davis. I get the feeling that he was uh, really good at, at getting the best out of musicians. David Bowie was another one. Uh, those two guys in particular were so good at, at getting the best out of people. If you listen to what a lot of people did with Miles or with Bowie, they never, they, it's the best stuff they ever did. Um, so probably one of those two guys. The music world can be tough and unforgiving. We asked Steve what advice he had for someone trying to make it in the music industry today. I'm not the best at giving out of advice um, other than perseverance um, and not a certain amount of ignorance. I think um, if, if you try to, if you listen to what everyone's telling you, you're probably going to drive yourself crazy. Um, I think you might be better off uh, trying to hone in your own moral compass of music. Um, because if you get to the point where you trust that, um, it's at the end of your life, that's gonna, you're going to be glad that that's what you relied on, I think. Steve Gerlach is an outstanding musician, and we are delighted to have him in our library. Here are some of the things he's been working on. Trying to finish up the fourth album of all this Outronaut stuff, um, which is a little bit more... Um, it's a little jazzier than any of the previous stuff. Um, there's a little more of a conversation going on with the guitars. Outronaut has just recently become a live band. Uh, in September, we played the first live show. I had initially just didn't really concern myself with what it would be as a live thing. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting that finished. It, it, it just needs to be mixed at this point. Um, I'll be doing that probably just next month uh, and getting some videos together for that. Um, but again, but it is still pretty 
cinematically oriented sort of stuff. It's it has a lot of that same sort of vibe of what I call crime jazz, you know, that sort of menacing retro uh, guitar oriented, uh, slightly surf music type of uh, sound. Um, so I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, it's the fourth one, and I think it's going to be the best one. This has been our damn good podcast. Thank you for tuning in. All music played in this episode are songs by the artists themselves. You can check out their music on our artist page at damusiclibrary.com. DA Music is clearance free, and we are always here for your project and production needs. Check us out at damusiclibrary.com.